As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to the Pulse of St. Louis. I'm Shirley Washington. Tonight, we take a closer look at the desperate need for organ donations in the Gateway City region. You know, a St. Louis woman recently gave her mom a special gift that saved her life. Take a look. Thought about all that she meant to me and everything that she has done. Stacy Giles didn't hesitate to donate a kidney to her mom, 72-year-old Janet Horton. I feel like I was born to do it. You know, I was born to do it for her. Because of sheer admiration, Giles followed her mother's footsteps and became a nurse. She's just an awesome individual. She has so much drive. When she was down battling kidney disease, unconditional love forced Giles to step up. She just jumped right in and said, you know, don't don't worry about it. I'll just give you one of mine. And I thought, I don't want you to do that. You know, you've got three kids that you have to take care of. 46-year-old Giles penned a special letter to her mom after tests proved she was a perfect match. I want you to understand the tremendous blessing that I believe that this is for me. I've spent my whole life being your child and receiving so much from you. She also presented her with a matching bracelet in honor of organ donation awareness. Family is everything, you know, and there's nothing I wouldn't do for you. Filled with emotion, mother and daughter cried and held on to each other before their respective surgeries at SSM St. Louis University Hospital. I just hugged her and I said, girl, you know, stop worrying. I said, God's got us both. We're going to be fine. And she just busted out crying. Horton is lucky she had a transplant and didn't end up on a long organ waiting list. There's a huge national shortage of um, kidneys. There's over 100,000 patients waiting for kidneys. They're all going to wait in between three to 10 years for a kidney from the deceased donor pool. She's also thankful the daughter she gave life to. I, I would do it again in a heartbeat. Gave her a gift that saved her life. I cried. I was very grateful, very thankful, you know, that she would do that for me. What an amazing story, right? Well, joining me now, Tara Zobers. She is an aftercare coordinator with Mid-America Transplant. Kevin Lee, he is vice president of community outreach with Mid-America Transplant. And Dr. Gary Marklin, he is chief medical officer with Mid-America Transplant. Thank you all so much for being here. I appreciate it. Kevin, let's start the conversation by talking about how great is the need in the St. Louis area for organ and tissue donations? Well, today in the St. Louis region, we have about 1,200 people who are waiting for that life-saving gift through organ donation. Across the country, there are roughly 114,000 people this morning who are waiting for that call uh, to receive that special gift that comes from a donor family who says yes to organ donation. Uh, and the need for tissue, a tissue donor can impact up to 200 people through the gift of tissue donation. And so those gifts are ongoing and they impact people in so many different ways from the gifts of sight through cornea donation to bone to skin. There's just a magnitude of, of riches that can come from a tissue donor to impact so many different people. Yeah. Dr. Marklin, give us a sense of who can donate, who can donate organs, who can donate eyes and tissue. 
Um, almost anybody can be a, a tissue or a, a tissue donor particularly, but an organ donor, basically they have to be deceased. There's two types of, of donors. There's the living donor, as we saw in, in the video there, but the deceased donors that we deal with at Mid-America Transplant are usually deceased because of brain death or of cardiac death. The majority, 80%, are because of brain death, and those are the patients that we deal with. What do you take into consideration when one is being considered to be a donor? Well, you have to look at their um, medical history. Um, you have to look at their social history. Do they have any infections? Um, are they infected with hepatitis C? Things of that sort. And all of those go into the picture. But we will make the decision in terms of if the person's uh, capable of being a donor or not. Um, and so most people who sign up on the registry or who give consent, that's the way to do it. And then let us look at the medical history and the social history at the time to determine if they can be a donor or not. Okay, Taryn, you are a member of a donor family, right? I am, yes. Tell me about that. Um, Ten years ago, my brother Cody um, died in a um, car accident. He hit black ice um, on a day much like today. And um, he was able to donate tissues. He left behind his one-year-old son, um, his wife, um, our parents, and many friends and family members, and he was able to donate tissues. He helped enhance and save the lives of more than 100 people that we know of um, through his tissue donation. He, he donated bone, and both of his corneas um, helped save the sight of two different people. That is amazing. Yeah. Did you know that he had signed up or had he signed up to be a donor? Yes, um, he was very vocal about it. I did know, um, luckily for us and our family, that was something that he had talked about. We all had talked about as a family, um, which is something that we encourage. So um, lucky for us, we knew his wishes and um, we're happy to carry them out. How does it make you feel to know that he saved so many people and changed so many lives? Um, unbelievably proud, I would say. It's um, one good thing that has come out of such a tragedy in our life, and um, that's why I do what I do to help other families like myself. Yeah, we hear a lot about kidney donors, Dr. Marklin. What is the most common organ that's donated? Kidneys, kidneys by far and away. 60% of all the organs donated and transplanted are kidney donor, are kidneys, 20% are livers. So 80% of the donated organs our kidneys and livers. Mm -hmm. So we saw in the report that the daughter gave her mom a kidney, mm -hmm. but you don't have to be related to be a donor, even if you are a living donor, correct? correct. Or a deceased donor, correct. correct? Absolutely, you do not have to be related at all. In fact, the majority of people are not related. So for a deceased donor, typically one that is brain dead, we will match it by a computer-based program to match the best donor with the best recipient to get the best outcome. Yeah, yeah. And kidneys from St. Louis can go anywhere in the United States to be transplanted. Kevin, so do people wait a long time on the waiting list for organs in the St. Louis area? Well, they do. Dr. Markman might be better suited to answer that question, but really there's a number of factors that go into the national algorithm that's run by the United Network of Organ Sharing. And depending on uh, certain factors around um, how sick they are may determine whether they fall on that list. So 
In the case of a kidney, it's not uncommon to have someone wait for five years while they wait for that call. Uh, other organs, it's much different. Um, we're fortunate here in St. Louis to have two world-class transplant centers. Uh, and so we have great teams of transplant nephrologists and pulmonologists and cardiologists who work really um, in collaboration with Mid-America Transplant as the organ procurement organization to make the best match possible. Yeah, in, in terms of matching the donor with the recipient, a number of things go into that. First, um, the blood type, size is a, is a consideration. You can't take the lung from a five-foot person and put it in a six-foot person. There's a size problem. Um, geography, you know, we only have four hours to get a heart transplanted. You can't be flying all across the United States for that. Um, HLA typing, certain types of proteins in the body that you develop antibodies to, you have to make sure they match with kidneys. The greater the match, the better the chance the kidney will last longer. So all of those factors go into an algorithm and each organ has its own algorithm how it's matched up with the best recipient. And for those who may not know, what do our kidneys do and what are some of the reasons they fail? The kidneys, um, obviously they make urine and they clear the toxins from the body, okay? There's a lot of other functions they do in terms of regulating blood pressure and various things. Uh, the most common problem with kidney failure nowadays is hypertension and diabetes, by far and away are leading the pack in terms of causing end-stage kidney disease that will result in needing dialysis and eventually a transplant. Yeah, there are a lot of people who have taken into consideration the thought and who have considered being donors, but for whatever reasons they may not. Tara, I know just based on your personal experience, you probably share your story and your family's history mm -hmm. with people. What do you say to people who may be wavering or not sure this is something that they would like to do? I think for me personally, and as an aftercare coordinator at Mid-America Transplant, I have the privilege of working with other donor families, and I think it benefits me and them that I have my personal experience. Um, kind of someone that can say I've been in your shoes and for someone that might be thinking it's not what they, they don't feel comfortable with it and there's multiple reasons why um, I think explaining that there can be one good thing come out of such a tragedy in your life and that your loved one can leave a legacy is kind of what we help our donor families to think about in the time in their desperate yeah. tragic what are some of the myths surrounded about organ donations you think some of the myths that people hear. There's... Well, well sir, please. Yeah, I mean, one of the, the big myths is that they don't want to be a donor because they're afraid the doctors won't take care of them. And mm. they only want their organs for transplantation. That's absolutely false. It is the physician's responsibility to take care of the living patient. And that every physician does that. And it's only when the person has been declared, you know, terminally brain dead that we would consider organ donation in that situation. Mm -hmm. um, and so people have that myth. Um, they also are concerned that they can't have uh, a wake afterwards because they, they'll be disfigured. And the answer is false too. We can procure the organs, the person can have an absolutely normal funeral and wake uh, and nobody will ever know that they're missing any of the organs or tissues. And that's a good point to mention. So, Correct. because I've actually heard that one. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Good point. Got to take a break. When we come back, we'll tell you how celebrities are helping to raise awareness about organ donations. Stay with us. We're back in a moment. 
Welcome back to the Pulse of St. Louis. Tonight we were talking about the importance of organ and tissue donations. And you know, celebrities play a role in this in terms of raising awareness. Some of them even find themselves on the receiving end of donations. Take a look. I've selected you both to be part of an experimental test. You may know 40-year-old Marlon Sanders from his acting roles. What is the one rule we are constantly preaching here? He's appeared in television series and movies, including Between the Crosshairs. I was diagnosed with um, end-stage renal disease, which is basically kidney failure, back in 2010. But what you may not know is while working in Los Angeles, Sanders was on a waiting list to receive a kidney donation. And when I went on the list there, they told me that the waiting list in Los Angeles is five to eight years. During a trip home to St. Louis to visit family, Sanders learned some amazing news when he went to see a local doctor for a health check. He was like, Marlon, you do know that St. Louis has a waiting list of three years. When I went back to Los Angeles, I talked to my nephrologist there in my dialysis center and asked them if they could call St. Louis and see if we could transfer everything. Since I'm from here, my family's here, my support system is here. The Ladue High School graduate packed his bags and dialysis machine, left Tinseltown and settled in his hometown where he was first on the waiting list for kidney donations. When he, he got here to St. Louis, he actually had been waiting longer for a kidney transplant than, than anybody else in our community. Donna Smith is director of organ procurement at Mid-America Transplant Services. The agency finds organs for the 1,500 patients on the transplant waiting list in the St. Louis region. The average wait time for a kidney transplant in our community is, is about two years. So when, when Marlon actually moved here, he, he already was, was the first in line to get a kidney. Sanders was desperately ill, but not in a race against time. However, it is the amount of time he was on the waiting list in St. Louis that amazes him. A little over 24 hours. A little over 24 hours. That's how long I was on the list. They activated me on Friday, and then I got called midnight on Sunday morning. And I, was, and they, and I checked in the hospital at 3 a.m., and I didn't have my surgery until Monday at 2, 2 p.m. Everything was happening so fast, I just was like, okay, let's, let's get this done. Dr. Peter Horton, a transplant surgeon at St. Louis University Hospital, performed Sanders' operation. He sailed through the transplant. He got out of hospital in uh, four days, and he's doing great. Any complications at all? None whatsoever. None, None whatsoever. But these are all different medications I'm on. Sanders' new kidney is performing well. These are anti-rejection medications. He's thankful his time on the waiting list was much shorter in St. Louis compared to L.A. Part of that, that is driven by the size, the population of our community compared to California. And, and part of it is, is the generosity of our community. And Sanders is also grateful for his donor and his donor's family for making a decision that saved his life. I owe them a huge thank you, and I would just love to say thank you. What an incredible story. So many questions are born just from watching that story, Dr. Marklin, I have to tell you. First of all, I didn't realize you can be on several donor lists at the same time. Well, basically, you get on the waiting list by signing up with a transplant center. So you can sign up with multiple transplant centers. The requirement is when the transplant center calls and says your name came up, you have to be able to get to the transplant center within hours. So you can't be in multiple different cities unless you have the ability with a jet to get there quickly. And that's what so happened most, to Sanders. Correct. I mean, he most, got the call and he had to get right to the hospital. Correct. So <laughs> most people sign up with the most local transplant center, or if they sign up with the transplant center, they move to that city and wait for the call.
Wow. So, Kevin, do you find that there are a lot of people that actually move to St. Louis for this reason? There are. Actually, we at Mid-America Transplant, we support um, what we call Mid-America Transplant's Family House, which are 10 private apartments that are located in the Highlands Plaza for families that relocate to St. Louis while they wait for that life-saving call or recover from it. Uh, to date, we've uh, supported Mid-America Transplant Family House for four years. We've had the privilege of journeying with about 157 families from 20 states, many of them right here in Missouri, uh, but who stay with us for on average of 102 days. Uh, so sometimes they've gotten that call and they're recovering and their family needs a place to stay, but it's very important that they're in a private apartment because their immune systems are suppressed. And so they're fully furnished, uh, they're close to the medical centers, and it's really to try and take the stress away from them to relieve that burden because we want them to steward that gift, that life-saving organ to the best of their ability, and they need to be in a comfortable situation to do yeah, that. That is so awesome. Tara, I was listening to Sanders when he says he wanted to thank the family mm -hmm. and the donor. Have you or your family members actually heard from the recipients who actually benefited from your brother? Yes, personally, um, my mom actually met one of Cody's cornea recipients. Um, so she, they met in her home and she was able to express how she was able to see her great, great grandkids when she wasn't able to do that before. So um, also in aftercare, we get to facilitate that correspondence between recipients and donor families. So that's another privilege of mine working in aftercare is that we get to help these families connect. And a lot of the recipients give them the ability to say thank you and the donor families to respond to that. What other resources do you assist them with? We help them with bereavement materials, whether it's in the moment, um, at the time of donation, or whatever time in their journey that they need it. Um, we host multiple events. We have candlelight memorials where we invite families to come, hear from recipients, um, hear recipients say thank you. And it's a really moving ceremony for families to be in other around other donor families so they know that they're not alone it's a lot of people that um, kind of understand each other and we create a space where they're able to honor their loved ones and and light a candle we just recently had our third annual celebrate life 5k run walk and more than 2300 people in our community came including family donor families recipients um, transplant professionals living donors um, just the community came together to honor the life-saving gift. Do you find that St. Louis is a giving community when it comes Very to organ so. donations and tissue donations? It is, um, St. Louis is such a small big city, you know, it has a small town feel and I definitely feel that in the transplant world for yeah. sure. Kevin, give us a sense of Mid-America Transplant, its history and how it came to be and how it is actually improving the process for families. Sure. So um, really, Mid-America Transplants history dates back to 1974 and was really focused on kidney transplants at that time. We formed as an organ procurement organization in 1986, and we serve 28 counties in southern Illinois, 54 counties in eastern Missouri, all the way down to Springfield, Missouri, and then we have the privilege of serving six counties in Jonesboro, Arkansas. So we've really grown throughout that time in our relationships with our partners at the 120 hospitals in that area. We also have the privilege of working with funeral home directors, coroners, medical examiners as well. And in that process, one of the things we've done, or improved, excuse me, is uh, the aftercare. Really learning how to help donor families, learning how to steward their gifts and work with them through that grief process, because grief is not a moment in time. It's, a, it's really a journey as well. 
And so through our community engagement department, we actually support grief centers uh, through grants in various communities, Lost and Found in Springfield, Missouri, Annie's Hope here in St. Louis, Heartlinks in Belleville, but as a way to provide resources to those families so that they um, can reach out to professionals in our community and really be begin to process um, what they're dealing with as well. Yeah. yeah. I've got to take a break. Hold that thought, doctor. <laughs> Kevin's like, doctor, you're up. Hold that thought. Back in a moment. Stay with us. We'll tell you about signs and symptoms of kidney failure when we come back. We're back after this. Welcome back to the Pulse of St. Louis. Tonight we are talking about the importance of organ and tissue donations. And, you know, sometimes you hear about celebrities that are in need of organ donations and also celebrities who are out raising awareness. For example, Selena Gomez had a kidney transplant last year. Tina Turner just recently announced that she is in need of a kidney um, donation as well, as you can see there. So, Tara, when you hear these stories about celebrities, um, because every media outlet will cover it, mm -hmm. what does that do to help raise awareness for what you and your organization is doing? Um, I think it's very important to hear those celebrities and um, talking about it because it puts a spotlight on it, which is, you know, what we all want. and. Um, bringing it back down to the families that I have the privilege of working for and helping them honor, it's it's the same for them. Everybody wants to share their story and to to honor their loved one at the highest level, and so that's what we try to do in aftercare is make honestly their loved one feel like a celebrity because they they are they gave the ultimate gift in a tragic time. They said yes, and their family followed through with it or said yes to it on their own. So. Yeah. Yeah. And Dr. Martin, you had an interesting statistic that you wanted to share with us well, about the number of folks that give in the St. Louis area. Right. One of the things, um, as Kevin mentioned earlier, there's about 115,000 people waiting for an organ. But last year, there was only about 16,000 donors and about 34,000 organs transplanted. So there's a need for 115,000, but only 34,000 were transplanted. That means about every hour somebody dies on the waiting list. And so when you have awareness of more people getting on the registry or being organ donors, we're trying to narrow that gap. Yeah, and we've been talking a lot about kidney donations. Um, what are signs and symptoms that your kidneys may be failing? The problem is there's not a whole lot of signs early on. When you have fulminate kidney failure, obviously you could have a loss of making urine, you could swell up, have edema, fluid retention. A lot of times it's just severe weakness, some nausea, vomiting, tiredness, just extreme lethargy. They're fairly non-specific symptoms, um, but it's important if you have diabetes or hypertension to make sure you check with your doctor frequently. And so is there anything one can do to prevent having kidney disease or Kidney I mean, failure? Yes, absolutely. If you have hypertension, you take your medicines, follow your blood pressure, make sure they're in check. If you have diabetes, check your blood sugar, stay on your diet, be active with your exercise program. All of those things can prevent the resulting kidney failure that comes along with them. Yeah. Kevin, does it surprise you that St. Louis is such a generous community? Uh, it, it overwhelms me more than surprises. <laughs> I think when we look at how many people are eligible to be organ donors each year, it's less than 1% of those who pass away in our region. So approximately 300 to 325 people are eligible to be an organ donor. Last year in 2017, we had the privilege of working with 223 families that said yes. 
They said yes to saving the lives of complete strangers through this incredibly altruistic act of organ tissue and eye donation. And so we feel privileged to steward those gifts, to work with those families, as Tara has mentioned. Uh, but in addition to organ donors, last year in 2017, we had the privilege of working with 1,863 tissue donors, which is incredible is to incredible. think that these families, in the midst of their grief, had the foresight and the courage to say, yes, I will help a stranger. I will allow my loved one's legacy to live on. It's really overwhelming. It's humbling. Um, we have the good fortune in our organization to work with these courageous families each and every day. And uh, many days, it's emotional for us. Yeah, we talked a little bit about who can donate, but are there any other specific requirements? Like you have to be a certain age, a certain height, certain weight, or anything like that, Dr. Markling? You Correct. Know so depending on the organ, the donor, uh, the age is a big factor. To be a heart donor, you're generally less than 55 years of age. But to be a liver donor, we'll take them up to 75 years of age. So yes, there are some requirements um, in terms of which organ and what age group. Um, again, uh, it depends a lot on the medical history that they have. You know, do they have a history of hypertension, drug abuse, things of that sort? That all limits certain organs. So can you walk us through the process, say for example, someone on their driver's license, they are on the registry that they want to donate their organs mm -hmm. in the event that they pass away. Mm -hmm. So what happens after that? I mean, when you get the organs, what, what do you do? I mean, do you examine them and then you call someone who's on the waiting list? How does that work, that process? So let, let's back up a little bit before that. Mm -hmm. So first, we get the call that somebody has been declared dead by neurologic criteria or commonly called brain death. And then we have our coordinators go to that donor hospital in our region, evaluate the patient. And Mid-America Transplant is very unique in that we have our own recovery center located in St. Louis. In 2001, we were the first OPO in the nation, actually in the world, that ever developed an organ recovery center that has a surgical suite, an ICU, and we would trans transfer the donor from the donor hospital to our center. And I'm a critical care physician, and we have ICU nurses, and we actually manage them in our ICU at the center. And typically, they're, they're 24 to 48 hours. We're trying to, in that period of time, optimize organ function, improve the function of the lungs, get the cardiac function better, make sure the kidneys are in better shape. And we do that with a lot of medical interventions. After we have optimized the organ function, then we go through the allocation process. And that's where you go to the match list of all the recipients on the list. And through UNOS, having a large computer-based program, we're matching up all the organs with the best matched recipient. Uh, at that point, we set an OR time. The surgeons come to our OR. And then we procure the organs in our OR. And that's when the surgeons have a time to actually look at the physical organ, we package them, we do put them on ice, they do go into coolers, and then they get transferred back to the transplant center. And then the transplant occurs at the transplant center, not at our facility. Oh, okay. And so, say for example, like the young lady that we saw, and even Mr. Sanders, how long is recovery? I mean, after you go through that process of transplant, how soon are you back on your feet and you go back to your normal life, going to work and doing all of your hobbies and, and that sort of thing? It clearly depends on the recipient because these recipients are sick. I mean, mm -hmm. they're going to die without the organ, mm -hmm. okay? And so some are critically ill and some are uh, in better shape. And so that really depends on how long they're in the hospital. 
typically um, you can get a kidney transplant and within five to seven days be out of the hospital and back home. A lung transplant is much more difficult. Uh, the recipients are typically older, they're typically sicker, and they could easily be in the hospital two to three weeks and then they need to stay around the transplant center usually for three months with repeated checkups because they can frequently get pneumonia and other problems afterwards. And it may take months after a lung transplant to really get back on your feet. All right. Hold that, th hold that thought, Kevin. Got to take a break. <laughs> when we come back, we'll tell you what you need to do if you would like to be an organ donor. Stay with us. We'll back after this. Welcome back to the polls. Before we went to break, I cut Kevin off because he wanted to say something really important, but I had to hit that commercial. So Kevin, go for it. What were you going to say? One of the things I wanted to add on to Dr. Markland's uh, comments were we transport that family or that donor, excuse me, back to our recovery center with the family's authorization and permission. Yeah. So we're talking through that with them. At the hospital, we present them with a gift of life medal to really celebrate and honor that their loved one is a hero. And then when that that donor, that hero, comes back to our facility and is taken care of by registered nurses and Dr. Marklin. Uh, when they go to surgery to recover those gifts, there's a moment of silence. We turn the lights down low, and then we read poems or reflections or prayers that the family has read or requested at that time. We play music at that time that the family requests. Our nurses report that uh, one donor's family requested Johnny Cash. So there were six oh. hours of Johnny Cash, which is, they said is a lot of Johnny Cash, yes. but it's what yes. the family wanted. It's what they want. yes. And we really wanted to honor and celebrate that donor, and they loved Johnny Cash. And so it's how do we keep that human element in perspective and recognize and celebrate the individual throughout the process? That's so amazing that that's, that moment is there and it's cherished, and it's what the family wants. Absolutely. That's awesome. Real quickly, if someone is listening, watching and they want to be a donor, what should they do? Well, we would encourage them to go to registerme.org, which is the national donor registry managed by Donate Life America, and sign up on that registry. That'll be recorded. So uh, we have access to that database and can check to see at the time of their uh, unfortunate death if they're on the registry. But also, we'd really encourage them to talk to their family members and declare their intent to save lives through organ tissue and eye donation. And that conversation is so important. It's critically important. Absolutely. It's critically important. Got to take a break. Final thoughts are up next back after this. Welcome back. Time now for final thoughts. And Tara, how about if we start with you, ma'am, your final thoughts sure. on the subject? I would say um, us being here, lives are not saved without the donors and donor families. And for us at Mid-America Transplant, especially in the aftercare department, it's about um, meeting that family in the situation whenever they've said yes and their loved one is going to donate organs and tissues. And our primary focus is to treat them with compassion and to honor their loved one's gift. Good point. And thank you and your family and Cody for what you've done to thank save you. so many lives and to help others. So we appreciate that. Dr. Markland, final thoughts, sir. There's more than 100,000 people waiting for or organs from, to be donated to keep them alive. And about every hour, somebody dies on the waiting list. And I think that's just a tragedy. And I think everybody, if they can sign up on the registry, to be an organ donor, we're going to try to narrow that gap and decrease that. Good point. Thank you, sir. Kevin, final thoughts? Each and every day, everyday people are heroes to complete strangers in our community and beyond. And so we'd encourage everyone to go to registerme.org and declare their intent to be a hero through organ tissue and eye donation. 
Thank you all so much for being here. I appreciate it. And thank you for joining us for the Pulse of St. Louis. Remember, if you missed any part of the show, download the Pulse of St. Louis podcast in the iTunes or Google Play stores. And remember for News 24-7, download the News 11 app. And don't forget, news during the week, be sure to watch News 11 at noon, 4, and 7. I'll see you next time.